fain to lie down and sleep their lives away. Would it be possible, I asked myself, to keep on thus through all the long dark night? Would there not come a time when my limbs must fail and my resolution give way, when I too must sleep the sleep of death? Death, I shuddered. How hard to die just now, when life lay all so bright before me. How hard for my darling, whose whole loving heart, but that thought was not to be born. To banish it, I shouted again, louder and longer, and then listened eagerly. Was my shout answered, or did I only fancy that I heard a far-off cry? I hallooed again, and again the echo followed. Then a wavering speck of light came suddenly out of the dark, shifting, disappearing, growing momentarily nearer and brighter. Running toward it at full speed, I found myself, to my great joy, face to face with an old man and a lantern. Oh, thank God, was the exclamation that burst involuntarily from my lips. Blinking and frowning, he lifted his lantern and peered into my face. "'What for?' growled he sulkily. "'Well, for you, I began to fear I should be lost in the snow.' "'Eh, yeah, then, folks do get cast away year about from time to time, "'and what's that to hinder you from being cast away likewise, "'if the Lord's so minded?' "'If the Lord is so minded that you and I shall be lost together, friend, "'we must submit,' I replied, "'but I don't mean to be lost without you. "'How far am I now from dwelling?' A good twenty mile, more or less, and the nearest village. The nearest village is Wyke, and that's twelve mile to the other side. Where do you live, then? Out yonder, said he, with a vague jerk of the lantern. You're going home, I presume? Maybe I am. Then I'm going with you. The old man shook his head and rubbed his nose reflectively, with the handle of the lantern. "'It ain't of no use,' growled he. "'He won't let you in, not he.' "'We'll see about that,' I replied briskly. "'Who is he?' "'The master.' "'Who is the master?' "'That's not to you,' was the unceremonious reply. "'Well, well, you lead the way, "'and I'll engage that the master shall give me shelter and a supper tonight.' "'Eh, you can try him.' muttered my reluctant guide, and still shaking his head, he hobbled, gnome-like, away through the falling snow. A large mass loomed up presently out of the darkness, and a huge dog rushed out, barking furiously. "'Is this the house?' I asked. "'Aye, it's the house. Down by!' and he fumbled in his pocket for the key. I drew up close behind him, prepared to lose no chance of entrance, and saw in the little circle of light shed by the lantern that the door was heavily studded with iron nails, like the door of a prison. In another minute he turned the key, and I had pushed past him into the house. Once inside I looked around with curiosity and found myself in a great rafted hall, which served apparently a variety of uses. One end was piled to the roof with corn like a barn. The other was stored with flour sacks, agricultural implements, casks, and all kinds of miscellaneous lumber, while from the beams overhead hung rows of hams, flitches, and bunches of dried herbs for winter use.
In the center of the floor stood some huge object, gauntly dressed in a dingy wrapping cloth and reaching halfway up to the rafters. Lifting the corner of this cloth, I saw to my surprise a telescope of very considerable size, mounted on a rude, movable platform with four small wheels. The tube was made of painted wood, bound round with bands of metal rudely fashioned. The speculum, so far as I could estimate its size in the dim light, measured at least fifteen inches in diameter. While I was yet examining the instrument and asking myself whether it was not the work of some self-taught optician, a bell rang sharply. "'That's for you,' said my guide with a malicious grin. "'Yonder's his room.' He pointed to a low black door at the opposite side of the hall. I crossed